Well, good morning. As John said, my name is Carrie Gleason, and I am the director of student ministries. Get to spend a lot of time with our students, and I adore it. Um, when we started this series, we gave out these cards after every single Sunday. They're prayer exercises, uh, just ways in which that we can help all of us live this out at home during the week. So if you missed a week or you would like to have these for the first time, we have extras in the back and we are passing out another one for today. We also have a prayer journal if you would like to take this with you. It's small enough, it can fit in a pocket, in a purse, write prayers down throughout the day that you think about, that you want to remember to pray for and lift up to the Lord. Uh, those are in the back as well. You can get one of those on your way out. There are also plenty of resources in the bookstore, and I know Michelle and her team in the bookstore would love to help you if you would like to dive deeper. There are books specifically on the Lord's Prayer. There are books on prayer. There are books on other spiritual disciplines. So if you would like any of those resources, grab one of us staff afterwards or visit the bookstore. Let's take a look at our final intro video for this series. Are you even there? not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Let's pray as we dive in. Father, we're here to hear from you. We desire to lay our lives down for you. I pray this morning you would meet us, that you would speak to us, that we would have ears to listen and hearts that are open to you. It is in your great name we pray. Amen. I am a frequent visitor of the state of Colorado. 
I enjoy uh, hiking and being outside. My sister and two of my closest friends live in Colorado, so I'm out there quite a bit. Uh, We love hiking around the Boulder area. Um, And over the years of being in youth ministry, I've also gotten to take students to Colorado on a regular basis. I worked for Youth for Christ for 10 years, and our camps and ski trips always took us out to Colorado. So one summer, when we were in Colorado, uh, we were at a beautiful uh, location right outside of uh, Colorado Springs in Pike National Forest, and my girls asked if we could go on a hike. I said, sure, why not? I love being outside. And most of the time, if a student asks to do something that's not dangerous or uh, harmful to them or I have their parents' permission, I will say yes to whatever they want to do. Um, And so we went on a hike. And it started a little something like this. Um, But what happened very quickly after we started was we went up about eight to 900 feet in elevation in a very quick amount of time. And the girls on this hike decided they wanted it to be a race. So I said, sure, let's race 900 feet into the air and see what happens. Um, So this was the last portion of it. If you see kind of in the back, um, thank you. If you see kind of in the back, there's a blob of blue. That was the campgrounds that we were at. And this is where we were. And by this point um, in the hike, Uh, you pretty much had to use your hands to help you get up. You had to use your feet. This wasn't a nice, leisurely walk, stroll up alongside of the mountain. No, no. Uh, We kept going, and that was the last 10, 12 feet of the hike. Um, And the girls made it up in about 10 minutes um, because I think they have lungs of steel. And I was huffing and puffing, and it took me about 20 to 30 minutes to make it up this hill. But we finally got up. And this is what it looked like. It was just breathtaking. And we stood on top of that mountain for probably 30 to 45 minutes. All we wanted to do was look out at the Rocky Mountains. And it occurred to me that all of the steps that we had taken gave that view purpose. The top of that mountain And the view that we had and what we got to experience was all because of the prior steps that we had just made. The top is what gave our hike its purpose. I love endings to things. I generally cannot read a book or watch a movie or see a play or a musical without knowing everything that happens. My sister can't stand it about me, but I force her to tell me everything, every detail if I haven't seen something because I'm so anxious to get to the end. I want to know what happens. Last night I saw a movie with some of my friends, and it was all our first time seeing this movie. And I sat there the entire movie going, what do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen next? Is that person going to die? My friends finally just didn't even turn my way when I looked over at them during the movie because it was so absurd that I could not keep my mouth shut because I wanted to know what happened. I love endings. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The end of the Lord's Prayer in all of its grandness and all of its majesty brings us right back to where we started. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
it brings us right back to where we started. The doxology of the Lord's Prayer, as it's often called. And scholars, like with many other things that are analyzed and scrutinized in Scripture, try to figure out where this came from. Because if you read the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew or in the book of Luke, it's not there in the earliest manuscripts. Some of our newest translations have included it, but the oldest manuscripts don't have it in there. And so they have realized that it was a later edition and a liturgical development for the people to respond to what they've just said and what they've just listened to. In Jewish poetry, the structure and the format wanted the end to imitate the beginning. And so when the writers of a book called the Didache, which is writings from the apostles, to help the Gentiles in the first and second century understand Christ and his teachings and his ways, added this, they wanted the Lord's Prayer to mimic and imitate the customs that the Jewish society and the Jewish people were used to because they were Jewish and they were writing this. And so that's how we got the end for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. The doxology brings it back to focus. One of the commentaries I read in the past couple of weeks said, we may pray for God's kingdom because the kingdom is his. For the hallowing of his name, because the glory is his. For the doing of his will, because the power is his. And when I place God where he should be in my life, when I give him the authority that he deserves, when I acknowledge that it is his kingdom that matters, not mine, then I have perspective of what it means to follow Jesus. Then I get to experience the fullness of life that Christ promises us. Everything hinders on the first two words of that stanza. For thine. For yours. We don't just pray the words that precede this statement for ourselves, for our benefit. I don't just want daily bread for me and so that I'm okay. As Anna said in the video that was shown in one of the first sermons of this series, we pray this, we pray those words so that we can have a transformative encounter with Jesus. So that I come face to face with my selfishness, with my deceit, with the fact that I want it all to be about me. And I encounter Christ who says it's my kingdom. And in that, I find freedom. Because it's not your kingdom. It's mine, God says. It's not about your country your company, your land, your family, this government. It's yours, God. And I receive that daily bread so that I can make your kingdom known for your glory. It's not about my power. 
It's about God's power. It's not about my self-will or my self-desires. It's not about my schedule. It's not about what I want or what I need. It's about God's. I can only forgive and be forgiven out of God's abundant grace. And I am only good because God makes me good. It's not about my glory. It's about God's glory. And this is probably where I struggle the most personally. It's not about the accomplishments. It's not about my performance. It's not about how much credit I can receive for doing something. It's all in the name of Jesus so that he may receive glory through my life. And that is so liberating and so freeing to experience. It is backwards to our culture. Our culture does not preach that. Our culture does not teach us that. But God does, and out of that, we find freedom and the power to live with Jesus. King David had a prayer that was very similar to this doxology. In the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, David gets to the end of his life and he prays, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. What do you think it took for David to say those words. Because when I think back to David's story and David's life, there are extremes in David's life. He did not always get it right. He did not always live out of the abundant grace or the relationship with God, the faith that he had. David committed adultery and murder. But David was the chosen one. And David was the man after God's own heart. And then David ignored a desperate plea from one of his daughters to help her and save her. David lived both sides of life, where he was living with God, living out of his relationship with God, and where he was living for himself and living for his daily bread and his needs and his kingdom and his power and his glory. And he got to the end of his life and he was fully God's. And he said, it's your glory. It's your power. It's not mine. And it was so similar to how Jesus taught us to pray. N.T. Wright said that the Lord's Prayer is therefore not just a loosely connected string of petitions. It is a prayer for people who are following Jesus on the kingdom journey. Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to act on behalf of God's name, which had been dragged through the mud 
by his people when they had turned away from him in rebellion. He was on, the, on his way to accomplish the exodus in which the long-awaited kingdom of God would become a reality. He had provided bread for the journey, and the breaking of bread was to become the sign of his presence in the church and the bond of his followers. He was already offering forgiveness and would accomplish it completely in his death. And he was already demanding from his followers that they imitate his graciousness and forgive their enemies. And he was waging war against the powers of evil, a war that would reach its decisive battle on Calvary. This is a prayer which grows out of the mission of Jesus himself. Our connectedness, our oneness with God was broken. Back in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, our connection was broken. And God wanted to do whatever it took to restore us to a right relationship with him. And Jesus enters the scene. And Jesus teaches us how to follow him and what it looks like to live in a relationship with him, what it looks like to rely on him for daily bread, for help with temptation, with forgiveness. Last week, John said that we become the choices we make. So how can we say yes to Jesus? How can we say yes to this prayer on a daily basis, with daily breath, when life is hard. As many of you know, we are going through some transitions in student ministries. We've changed some staff, um, and we've made some changes to how we do ministry and what it looks like. And while there have been some amazing things that have come out of it, there's been some really hard things too. And if I were to be completely honest with you standing here today, I'm tired. And it hasn't been a road full of rainbows and butterflies. It's been tiring. And so I've had to ask myself, in the midst of this season of my life, when transition in general is just hard, what does it look like for me to pray this prayer on a daily basis, to mean it, and to live out of it? I don't think that it means that God is going to show up and give me abundant energy or that it means that automatically I'm going to be confident about every decision I make or confident that I am leading in the exact way that I should be leading. I think it means that in the quietness and the stillness of my day, whether that's in the morning, waking up, 30 minutes before I would normally wake up, I sit with Jesus. Or it means at night when I get home and I just want to watch TV or read a book, it means that I sit with Jesus. And as I go through my day, sometimes all that means is under my breath, I say, Jesus, help. I don't think that it means that I'm just cured. <laughs> I don't think it means that I'm just okay. 
I think God sits in it with me, provides for me, and helps my, me and my heart to live out of what he has given me. Not so that my performance can be good. And I struggle with performance. I want my performance to be good all the time. Not so that I can earn God's approval, but so that I can have a fullness of life no matter what my circumstances or my situation may be. It's our decision. We are the choices that we make. And God is here whether we are going through some of the greatest times in our life or some of the worst times. And he wants to help us live out of the abundance of grace, the daily bread, the forgiveness, helping us not to go into and fall into temptation. He wants to help us live out of that. It doesn't rest on us. Because it's not about us. It's about his kingdom, for his glory, for his power. It's about him. And that frees me to care more about his kingdom than my kingdom. And that frees me to live in fullness. So that I can, that we can be amazed. We can be present. We can be surrendered. We can be cleansed. We can be delivered. We can be his. And as we were getting ready for this sermon, I wanted something that kind of helped us understand what this doxology feels like. And so we found um, a video of Andrea Brocelli and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This is a glimpse of what I think this doxology feels like. Like there is a Mormon tabernacle choir behind me all the time, singing me as I go through my day, no matter if I'm tired, no matter if I'm facing a decision at a doctor's office, a difficult relationship, 
a boardroom full of negative attitudes. I want that in the midst of it all. Amen.